Assalamu alaikum dear brothers and sisters and welcome to another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. A podcast where we delve into the verses of the Quran to connect with the book of Allah, the greatest miracle of our beloved Prophet. I hope that you enjoy and benefit from the content inshallah and like always, please let us know about any feedback regarding this episode. Having said that, let's delve straight into the Tafsir inshallah. From here we'll move on from verse uh, 69 onwards. وَمَا عَلَّمْنَاهُ الشِّعْرَ وَمَا يَنْبَغِي We did not teach this Qur'an and this Prophet of ours الشِّعْر, poetry. وَمَا يَنْبَغِي And it is not something that is becoming of him, right? He's not the type of person that would be a shair. إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا ذِكْرٌ وَقُرْآنٌ مُبِينٌ He is nothing, this is nothing except for a remembrance and a clear Qur'an. Okay, so why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that we didn't teach him poetry? What's wrong with poetry anyways? Well, this is one of those accusations that the people of that time used to use against the Prophet. That you are uh, you are a poet. This stuff that you're talking about is poetry. And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in other verses of the Qur'an, he actually does have somewhat of an issue with this concept of poetry. Um, the reason for this, and I'll read the verses, is that in the Qur'an, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about poetry, it talks about it in a negative connotation in the sense that poetry is the type of talk that for the most part, because the Qur'an does make exceptions, but for the most part, it's the type of talk that's useless and it's a type of talk that uh, revolves around imagination rather than the type of talk that has to do with the real world, okay? And the Qur'an is always against anything. When I say against, I don't mean necessarily haram or anything like that, but the Qur'an is never a fan of anything that will take your focus off of the real world and will have you focus on fantasies and have you focus on an imaginary world, right? Now, some things that we have in this world do this to a very... Uh, in a very strong way some of them do it in a less of a way right like for example I might read a, a, a non-fiction book okay that's might take me away from the realities of this world but it's not as strong for example as other types of entertainment and this is fundamentally one of the reasons why music or certain types of music is a certain issue right because when it comes to certain types of music, that's exactly what they do. When it comes to certain types of music, they completely remove you from the realities of this world. They make you forget about the realities of this world. And that's why sometimes you'll find people who listen to music, not sometimes, for the most part. People who listen to music, one of their main uh, purposes, one of the main uh, things that they're trying to achieve is to forget about their issues and their problems and their worries and their concerns, which is not necessarily a bad thing. However, the Quran says you have to be careful how you do this. Someone might meditate and they might be able to uh, put away some of their worries. Okay, the Quran, Ahlul Bayt have no problem with that. But then there are certain things that are very strong. They have a very deep effect on the human being. 
likes certain types of music, right? And that's why uh, certain types of music are actually considered problematic in uh, in Islam. This is why in the beginning of uh, Surah uh, Luqman, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْتَرِي لَهْوَ الْحَدِيثِ There are those from amongst the people, they sell lahwa al-hadith, the type of hadith that is useless. There's no... There's no purpose to it. It's just in, pure entertainment Entertainment in the sense that there's nothing positive coming out of it. And it's the type of entertainment that pushes you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? There is punishment for those people. And this verse is actually one of those verses that uh, some of our fuqaha and some of our scholars actually uh, refer to when it comes to uh, discussing whether uh, music is uh, forbidden or it's not forbidden and what type of a, of a role it plays. Inshallah, later on, if we get a chance, uh, when we move on to the topic of music, we'll, uh, we'll have separate sessions for that to discuss it, not just from the perspective of Ahkam and the rulings that Ayatollah Sistan and Ayatollah Khamenei have on this issue, but also from the perspective of a little bit more from a perspective of what type of role does it play in our lives how has it changed over time? What does the music of 50 years ago look like? What does the music of today look like? Um, what are the concepts that are associated with the type of music that we find uh, in today's world? Um, and also, what are the ahadith and the verses of the Quran? What do they tell us? Um, and, and essentially, the, the one main question I want to answer and when we get to that session, inshallah, is this, that uh, what, what is God's problem with music? particularly like and and the types of music that we consider to be problematic is it for example the issue that has to do with uh forgive me the the sexual content and that 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 type of language that's used in music is that the issue um is it it might be something else is it the issue of it uh you know maybe getting me to commit certain sins or is there something else at play Right? And when I say it that way, obviously that means there is something else at play. These are, of course, issues. But then even sometimes, if even if these are not there, still you will find that our scholars consider the music to be forbidden. Uh, and of course, there are certain types of music that are not a problem uh, whatsoever. So anyways, the reason why we branched off into this is because we were talking about poetry. And poetry, of course, when you talk about music, usually it's accompanied by a certain type of poetry. Now, when the Quran says poetry, it doesn't mean it have to be poetry in a, in a very specific manner. It could be poetry in the sense that it's speech that comes with a certain rhythm uh, with it, right? The Quran says, This is, of course, in Surah Al-Shu'ara, right? Surah Al-Shu'ara is called Surah Al-Shu'ara because of this verse. And Shu'ara meaning uh, poets. The Shu'ara people uh they the the people who follow them are the people who are lost they're misguided right don't you see that these shu'ara when they speak they just go into any and every issue right meaning that their speech is not speech that's focused it's trying to teach you something you get from point a to point b from a logical perspective it's not that it's just a world of imagination. And if anyone is familiar with, and we all are, fortunately or unfortunately, if we're all, we're all familiar with the 
you know, the type of music that you find in today's world and the type of lyrics, this is what you'll find. You see a person, his lyrics are about like the most useful thing, the, the most useless uh, issues. Some of the things that you, you, you really sit there and you laugh at. It's the type of lyrics that if you were to take a moment to really think, like, what is this guy saying right now? Uh, <laughs> you would be laughing, really. So this is what the Quran says. Alam tara annahum fi yahimun. They just talk about anything and everything because the whole point is just pure entertainment, right? You're not really trying to get anything out of it. And they say things that they don't do, meaning that their speech does not carry any weight and any value. And then the Quran, of course, makes this exception. And then there are those, of course, who use this poetry and uh, they are poets because this illa is a exception from the shara from the poets these poets they uh, some of them are amongst those who have and and they remember allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a whole lot then those people yeah i mean that's fine right and we know that even our big scholars a lot of times they used to uh basically uh endorse or basically encourage pro a good poetry right in the words of one of our scholars he says that uh, one line of a poem can do the work of a thousand speeches sometimes right so it can be very strong it just has to be used uh, probably uh, properly now these guys the reason why they would call the prophet a poet was two issues that came together first of all they were saying that this guy has no idea what he's talking about Number two, he was saying, they were saying that, you know, this Quran, it's so beautiful. The reason why it's so beautiful is that it's poetry. And this is what you also find in the other verses of the Quran, that they used to tell one another that, listen, the only way for you to stop this Quran from getting its point across to people, from attracting to the people, was this, don't sit there and listen to this Quran. And when it's being recited, make noise and interrupt it. Right? Because if you do that, then you'll have hope that you'll be able to stop this Prophet from the work that he's doing. It was so beautiful that they wanted to say, hey, if it's so beautiful and it's so attractive and all that, it's just poetry. It doesn't even make sense. There's no point in it. It's just entertainment. The same way you want to listen to the Quran, you can go listen to these other poets. And of course, at that time, the Arabs had a whole lot of poets and poetry. Right? Poetry was a big thing back in the day at that time. And it's interesting that it's mentioned in our books of history. This is not hadith uh, as, as far as I know. But in our books of hi history, it's mentioned that Abu Sufyan, Abu Jahl, and Akhnas ibn Shariq or Shuraik. I'm not sure how his that part of his name is pronounced, but these were big guys from Quraysh, that during the night when the Prophet was reciting Quran in his house, that they used to come and sit around the house of the Prophet. And you know, back in the day, houses, they weren't as secluded uh, and rooms weren't as isolated as they are today, right? So they would come and sit around the house of the Prophet to hear the Prophet's recitation. The funny thing is, that uh, when they were walking away, they bumped into each other. 
right? And all three of them quickly realize that the, they and others are there because the Quran is so beautiful. They turned to each other and said, you know what, we can't do this. I mean, if people find out that the heads of Quraysh are coming and listening to Quran at night, it's going to be a problem. So <laughs> we have to make sure that we make a pact, we make this, this like decision and this promise to one another that we are not going to come and sit and listen to the verses of the Quran, right? So they said, okay, they all agreed on it. They left, they came back the next night. Same thing happened. They saw each other the next night as well. And this happened for three nights until they were able to stop it, you know, permanently. But the, the reason why these guys were calling the Quran Sha'ir and the Prophet Sha'ir and, and, and Sha'ir was because it had this beauty that they, it was difficult for them to even stay away from listening to. Now, because the Prophet was being accused as Sha'ir and he was being accused as being a poet, you find that the Prophet, whenever, and this is mentioned in our Tafasir as well, in our, in, and in our Ahadith, that whenever he wanted to use a poem in his speech, right? He wanted to reference a poem in his speech. On purpose, he would change the poem, right? It's very beautiful. That because the Prophet was under, like he was being accused of this, even when he was referencing other poems, right? And this is, very, this is clear proof that therefore poems are not fundamentally an issue. It's the type of poem that you're listening to or the type of poem that you're uh, engaging in or even composing. Anytime he wanted to reference a poem, he would change up the poem to a certain degree. He would move the words from, from the beginning to the end. Why? Because he's already under the microscope of these people saying that, listen, he's shy and he's a poet. So if he starts using poetry, he was being extra careful that if I'm going to use poetry in my, in my uh, talk, and in my speech and in my conversations that I change things up and people still know what saying I'm referring to, but I won't be using the poet, the poem uh, exactly, right? It's the same exact approach he took when it came to people telling him that, listen, you, uh, these things that you talk about, these are things that you have been taught, right? You have gotten these from the Christians or the Jews or maybe these people that you go and visit, right? Uh, they they are uh, they are teaching you all of these things. You find that the prophet, because he was under that accusation, that wala takhutuhu biyaminek, right? He would not wama kunta tatlu min qablihi min kitabin wala takhutuhu takhutuhu He would not read any of these books, and he would not write either, right? Even though some say he had that ability, but uh, he wouldn't do it on purpose because he was already under this accusation similarly with this idea of them calling him a poet anytime he would want to reference a state a saying right a uh, or a line of poetry that was common amongst the people he would do so by changing the phrases um in that line of poetry okay so they're telling him god is saying we did not teach him poetry this is not poetry and it's not becoming of him because Muhammad is wise, he's not the type of person who's just there to entertain himself or others. This is nothing except for a means of remembrance and a clear Quran, right? Moving on to verse 70. 
This is a Quran and we sent it. Why? Because we wanted him to warn those who are alive. Right? When you read this verse initially, you would assume that what the Quran is saying is that the Quran is there for only those who are alive. Those who are, who are not alive yet, that are yet to come, then the Quran is not for them. Right? But literally the Quran is saying no. This is a means of warning for those whose whose hearts are alive, right? If their heart is dead, as, as the Quran says, you can't you can't make someone who is not able to hear, you can't make him hear and listen to what you're saying. As kind and as great as you are, you can't force people to listen to what you're trying to get them to do. You you can only tell them, and then if their hearts are still alive, they are high, then they will take that warning. And we sent this so that our command would be established for the kafirin. This is that same command that if you were following us at the very beginning of the surah, we talked about, right? Our, our decree has been established for them, right? Meaning that it will reach a point, some of these kuffar, there's no uh, re, uh, no point of return for them. There's no way they can come back from what they have done to themselves, right? Now, <clears throat> I will explain this just real quick, small point. Uh, it can be important sometimes. This lam, right? Lam in Arabic doesn't always mean I did this because of this. Sometimes in Arabic it means I did this and it leads to this. Okay, now why is this important? Because if you say, oh, the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Quran to give warning and to have punishment for the kuffar, it seems as though we're saying that God sent his book in order to make this happen. No, lam in Arabic sometimes means we sent this and it leads to, and this is what it means here. We sent this Quran and it leads to you giving warning to those who are, whose hearts are alive and it leads to the kuffar doing what they're doing and because of that punishment, punishment being established for them, right? This is very important because if you look at this lam and you say this lam means I did this because of this or for this purpose, then that means that God sent the Quran for the purpose of misguiding these people or for the purpose of these people reaching the punishment in, in the day of judgment, right? And we have other uh, situations or other uh, instances in the verses of the Quran where this lam is used, but it doesn't mean for the purpose of. Like in the story of Fir'aun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, They picked up Musa, We would translate this verse, we say they picked up Musa with the purpose of because they wanted him to be their enemy and a means of sadness and sorrow for them. And that doesn't make sense because when the troops of Fir'aun were picking up Musa, they didn't pick, it, pick him up with that purpose in mind, right? <clears throat> they picked it up, they picked it up, and this led to Musa becoming an enemy for them, right? So this is important in other verses of the Quran, this pops up as well, that this lam, if you don't have a right understanding of it, then sometimes you might assume that the Quran is saying, yeah, we did this on purpose so that we know that God doesn't create this, this world so that people will fail the test. You don't build a school so that people will fail, 
you build the school so that people will graduate and yes it will lead to some people also failing but you don't do it with that purpose you see all of this is coming out of this uh, lam and the different types of meanings that this lam has here all right <clears throat> let me just check real quick see if we have any questions okay we don't have any questions if you guys have questions you can put them in the comment section uh, as I'm moving along I'll go through those as well all right, moving on to verse 71. Don't these guys see these next two or three verses are Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking about things that we as human beings take for granted and we see them as ordinary things. Whereas the Quran says, no, just because these are things that you are used to in your life doesn't mean they're ordinary. They're extraordinary. In other words, we assume that these things are supposed to be the default. This is how life is supposed to be. But the Quran is saying, no, we put our touch on this life that you're living. That's why things are the way they are. What things are the way they are? Don't they see that from the works of our hands, from the creation that we did, we created for them an'aman fahum laham malikun, and they own these, uh, these an'am, these cattle. Okay, and we made these cattle humiliated and humble for them. What does that mean? That means that we made them such that you can ride on their back, that you can train them, for example, you can deal with them, you can basically manage them and maintain them so that out of it comes what? They ride them and they eat from these animals as well. Like we assume, right? Let's give you an example. We assume that a cow should be able, like it should have this ability to be domesticated. But the Quran is saying, listen, that's like something we did. We made them dhalil for you. It's not that this animal was just like that from the very beginning. No, we made this animal dhalil for it. We assume a sheep is supposed to be like the type of animal that you could just hold your hand out and it could eat out of the palm of your hand, right? And it can, it's domesticated and it's, you know, it's something that you can keep, for example, in a, in a garden or a ranch or whatever the case may be, or like in a farm, I should say. But the Quran is saying these are things that we did. This is, these are things that we gave to your life that these animals are in this way. It was all planned. And out of this comes a whole bunch of benefits and things that you can drink. And in other verses of the Quran, God talks about how the milk comes into existence. And that's obviously a very beautiful uh, description that the Quran has about that. We don't have time to go over that right now. They don't thank us for any of these. Instead of thanking us, what did they do? What yunsarun. Instead, what they did is where they went and they took other gods so that those other things, those other gods would help them right? in moments of difficulty. But what they don't understand is this. Beautiful. It says not only will those other gods not be able to help them. In fact, because these guys went and invoked these other things. Now for them, it might have been idols, for example, right? Because they went and invoked and they adopted these other gods, right? On the day of Qiyamat, 
هم لهم محضرون They will be brought into the punishment because of these idols. Right? So the Quran is technically going on the offensive, uh, on offense basically I should say. That the Quran is saying not only did these guys not defend their followers, not only did these idols not defend their followers, more than that on Yawmul Qiyamah these followers have to pay for their loyalty to these idols. Right? They will be muhdarun. They will be summoned into punishment because of these guys. They will be walking behind these idols and they will enter into hellfire because of them. Not only did they not help them, in fact, they will be punished because of them as well. فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلُهُمْ إِنَّا نَعْلَمُ مَا يُسِرُّونَ وَمَا يُعْلِمُونَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ So this should not bother you when they say the things that they say, right? What a big lesson this is, brothers and sisters. To learn not to be upset, not to take it to heart when certain people say things. I mean, the type of stuff that our Prophet used to hear, the nonsense that he used to hear, right? And it bothered him. And the Quran says, فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلُهُمْ Make sure that what they say it doesn't bother you, right? إِنَّا نَعْلَمُ مَا يُسِرُّونَ وَمَا يُعْلِنُونَ And we know from other verses of the Quran that it would hurt the Prophet what they would say. Now, granted, it would hurt the Prophet in a different way then it would hurt us. It hurts us because we take it personally and because we think we're a big deal. Um, it would hurt him because he would see how misguided these people are. But then the Quran says, listen, there's going to come a Yawmul Qiyamah, they're going to be held accountable for the things that they're saying. So it shouldn't bother you. We know everything that they're doing. We know the stuff that, they, that they're doing and they're not even showing to anybody. We even know those things. Right? None of it is going to go... Uh, being unnoticed by us. And then he says this, verse 77. What a beautiful verse this is. This is one of, uh, I gotta say, is one of my uh, favorite uh, verses. Salam alaikum to everyone else who's, who's joined us. Doesn't the human being see, like God is saying, like, listen, <laughs> don't you see the irony in this? Don't you see how ironic this is? What? What's ironic? We created this human being from this drop of fluid, right? Then all of a sudden this human being is Hasimun. He's arguing with us. Like it's unbelievable. <laughs> this guy, he was not even there like 20 years ago. Like we created him from a drop of fluid. فَإِذَا This is in Arabic, this is إِذَا فُجَائِيَّ right? It means like we would translate it in English as uh, all of a sudden. Right? Then all of a sudden he's an open contestant. He's like, he's like uh, basically opposing us openly. Right? It's just like, for example, if you, if you found someone who is like in a very difficult position in life, right? And then you took them under your wing, right? And you took them under your wing and they started to grow and recover from whatever they had gone through. And then after like two years, then that person comes back and he wants to like take over your business now. You're like, wait a minute. This is so ironic. You were the same one that I took under my wings and I helped you out. Now all of a sudden you're, you know, you, you, you're coming and you're contesting and opposing the stuff I'm doing. Right. It was very ironic for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he explains this arguing that this person is doing. 
And now he's speaking to us and he's saying these things and he forgets about his own creation. What is it that he's saying? Oh. Who is going to bring back these bones when these bones are like, you know, they're disintegrating and they're falling apart and the human being after it dies, right? And it's and it becomes weak and it becomes hollow and empty, the bones, right? Because who is going to bring back all these bones, right? Now, this verse of the Quran is beautiful because God, before even mentioning that question that the person is asking, He's already answered the question, if you think about it, right? He said, He has he is mentioning this example, and they say in the stories, as far as I can remember, that a person came and he took certain bones of, of, uh, of, of the human being and said, here, the bones of this human being, this is, it's dead. What do you mean? If I crack it, it just crack open. It's not going to, there's no life in this. How is that that God is going to bring back life to these bones, right? He forgot his own creation. And then God mentions the question that he had, right? So he answered the question before he even mentioned the question, right? Who's going to bring back these bones after these bones have disintegrated and they're hollow? Well, the one who created them in the first place, duh, like, you know, the, the, one, the one who brought them into existence initially from nothing, you don't think he can do some work and make something happen with at least some dry bones, right? If I brought something into this life out of nothing, then it would be easier for me to do it out of dry bones, right? And it's beautiful because this same argument is used in other verses of the Quran, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He is the one who will redo creation, right? He will do creation over again. He will resurrect the human being. And this one is easier for him. And we know that there's no easier difficult for God. But he's saying like, listen, even if you think about it from a material perspective, like, it would be easier for him to bring someone to resurrect some resurrect someone after that person has like some sort of bones than it would be for him to create something out of nothing right the second one is easier so you and you guys see that he did the first one so why is it that you're doubting his ability to be able to do uh, the second one i'm going to move forward because i think we'll we'll end the surah uh, tonight and today inshallah and he has knowledge of every creation. When he wants to bring back these bodies on the Day of Judgment, he knows exactly where these bodies are. Now, we do know that there's a discussion, and it's a long discussion, uh, about how we are going to show up on the Day of Judgment. Are we going to show up with bodies? Are we not going to have bodies? Uh, what type of bodies are we going to have? How are we going to look? These are all uh, pointers that uh, are discussed in the verses of the Quran and some of them mostly in an hadith For those, of course, who are interested, you guys can attend Sheikh Amin's uh, course on this. Uh, has to do with uh, Barzakh, death and Barzakh. Um, and that will be, inshallah, June 15th and June 16th in Dallas in case uh, you're listening and you're, you know, either from Dallas or going to be in the area at that time. Um, but there's a whole discussion regarding uh, this idea. Verse 80, moving on to verse 80. He's the one who created for you fire 
from the green tree, right? You would assume that this green tree would never be able to change to a point where it could provide fire for the human being. And yet it does that. Yes, it, this has to happen over time, of course. But still, how is it that this tree, like when we look at a green tree, we just see the green in it. We don't know that there's another source of energy in there, so to speak, right? But this is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the same tree that's green can then become a source of fire for us. All of a sudden, this green tree turns into this wood that you use to make your fire with it. The one who created everything, everything in the heavens and the earth, is he not capable and for him to create another set of human beings just like these guys in the sense that when it comes to his resurrection of these human beings, he's not able to do it over again? Of course he's able to do it. And he's the one who creates constantly. This is one of those things, brothers and sisters, that the human being does not understand. We as human beings think we're like the number one characters in this world, right? And in terms of priority, that might be true. But we don't know. There might be other human beings out there. And then even outside of that, you know, outside of the extraterrestrial uh, terrestrial uh, discussion, even outside of that, we don't even know how many creatures God has created. He's khalaq. Right? He creates like this. Now, this creation of his is what he's going to talk about in verse 82 and 83. And these two verses are very important. If you remember, one of the reasons why our scholars said that Surah Yasin is known as the heart of the Quran, Qalbul Quran, some scholars say it's because of these two verses. Why is that? Okay, take a look at verse 82. Innama amruhu, his command. When he wants something, when he wills something, I should say. He says, Kun, and therefore it exists. He's khalaq. He creates things just like this. It's done. Flawless is the one who holds in his hands. There is, brothers and sisters, mulk and there's malakut. Mulk has to do with the material world, the material aspect of our existence. Malakut has to do with the aspect of our existence that lies at a higher level, right? I could say more of a barzakhi, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, level of our existence, right? And it's difficult to put it into words, really. But this malakut refers to the that side of our existence that is not material, basically. That's what it refers to. Okay. The malakut of everything, the very core of the existence of everything, is in his hand. And you all will return to him as well. Now, this amr that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about, this command is very important, brothers and sisters. Because when you look at other verses of the Quran, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses this amr in different ways. Now, we don't have time to go through all of them, but I'll just mention some, uh, some of the places where this mysterious word of amr of God is mentioned, right? One of them, brothers and sisters, is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says 
that these uh, that an imam in other verses of the Quran when it comes to imamat and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, guides them or they guide with his amr they guide with the amr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they guide with the kun fayakun of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what does that mean it's a discussion we'll have to have sometime right that's one place where this word amr this mysterious concept I mean when I say mysterious in the sense that how does it relate to the issue of imamat? That's one place where it shows up, right? Another place where this concept of amr shows up is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the concept of ruh. Now you know that in the verses of the Quran, there's this concept called ruh. Left and right, God talks about ruh, right? And when I say ruh, I'm talking about when God says ruh, in as a separate word sometimes it says ruhi right sometimes it says ruhana fa'arsalna ilayha ruhana in the story of maryam however sometimes allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about ruh as a separate word right now this is a very deep discussion that al-mizan has but i'm explaining it in a very simplified manner um in other verses of the Quran, God says, They ask you about the ruh. Tell them that ruh is from the command of my Lord. And many of us, including myself, when I would come across this verse, I had no idea <laughs> what this verse was talking about. <laughs> like, What on earth does it mean? When you ask what is ruh and God says ruh is from the command of my Lord or tell the prophet is supposed to tell them uh, ruh is from the command of my Lord. What on earth does that mean? Now, when you connect the dots, then you understand what it means, right? And Adama uh, Tabatabai has done this in a in like the most spectacular manner. He says, Okay, he says, what does amr mean? Well, Bismillah, Surah Yasin is explaining for us what this word amr means innama amruhu idha arada shay'an an yaqula lahu kun fayakun so kun fayakun is this amr of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this command of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to his command when he wants to create something when he wants to bring something into existence okay so tell them that ruh is from the essence of the command of my lord which command the command of kun fayakun. That means ruh is of the essence of kun fayakun. Okay. So, Mufassirin say what the verse is saying is that ruh is a creature that God has created that is in charge of bringing other things into existence by kun fayakun. I know it sounds a little abstract, but you see when you connect the dots, it actually makes quite a bit of sense, right? He says... This ruh is from the essence of that command, meaning that it its its fabric is from kun fayakun, right? So whenever God wants to create something, who does it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Who does he do it through? He does it through this creature called a ruh. And now we understand Suratul Qadr much better, right? Tanazzalul malaikatu wa ruh. These malaika come and the ruh comes. Well, what are the malaika and ruh coming and going for? What are the malaika coming and going for on that day, right? On that night? Well, they come and go because of the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because of the destiny that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, you know, he's making decrees for what's going to happen in the next year, for example, we read. 
So the angels are supposed to come and go because they're the ones who create, carry out different things. They're the ones who make things happen in this world. But also who's supposed to come and go? Also, Ruh is supposed to come and go because Ruh is also the one who is going to create things in the next world. Uh, forgive me, in the next year, I should say. He has to also come and go because he has uh, going to have a bunch of commands that he has to uh, carry out. All right. So this is why they say Surah Al-Yasin is known as the heart of the Quran because the heart of everything has to do with its malakut. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is creating this malakut. He has the knowledge to do it. And he is the one who is constantly creating as well. Hopefully that was a good end uh, to our discussion. Of course, the work that Allah Tawatawi has done, unbelievable. I mean, people have no idea. I'm being very honest. People have no idea what, what type of scholar he was and the type of work that he did and how deep his work is and it's really not their their fault it's because we haven't been able to take this these types of uh of content and make it uh, accessible to to our uh, brothers and sisters um and this is why we have these sessions because i know brothers and sisters a lot of times people will say well i want to learn about the quran but i don't know where to start from even if i pick up the translation i don't know if the translation is the best translation I don't know, or sometimes the translation isn't even fluent, right? Sometimes a word, sometimes you have to go pick up a dictionary while you're trying to translate the verses of the Quran, like through a, a translation. Like sometimes I know because I've had this experience, I have to look up certain words in the translation <laughs> because maybe I'm ignorant, I don't know, but I'm assuming that average person can't even understand some of the translations that we have. And I'm talking about contemporary ones too. Um, so this is why we started the, these sessions. This is why we're getting into the tafsir of the verses of the Quran. And so please do share this with whoever uh, you think that is, uh, you know, wants to learn about the verses of the Quran. Because what we do here is that we take a whole lot of content and we simplify it and we uh, make it compact. And it's being delivered here, right? And so uh, it's the type of work that we feel like really needs to be done uh, in our communities so that no one can sit there and say, well, I didn't know or I didn't have anything to learn about the verses of the Quran. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Quran and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is MizanInstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.